We are so gifted. It's a passive verb. We are gifted. Being gifted implies that someone has given the gift, correct? Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be looking at this giftedness today in, uh, in I think, a unique way, from a, from a different angle than you might have, have considered gifting before. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. By the way, while you're turning there, uh, Bob mentioned T4B, Theology for Breakfast. That's open to any of the men in the church. You don't have to have studied for it yet. Uh, we're going through Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology at 5.30 a.m. On, on Wednesdays. We're, we start sharply at 5.30. We finish exactly at 6.30. So you're welcome to come to that, uh, even if you haven't been a part in the past. Just show up, and we'll tell you what to, what to do from there. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Peter says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's really easy to to talk about someone who's gifted, isn't it? Musicians, we say that he or she is so gifted. We sit by someone who's not as gifted, and we recognize their lack of giftedness during the singing time, right? Are you laughing with me or at me? Anyway. Uh, vocalists, musicians, athletes who are gifted, mathematicians. If you have the gift of mathematics, how many of you like mathematics? I'm so sorry. Gifted with mechanics, gifted with children, gifted with animals, no relation. Gifted with your hands, gifted as a speaker, gifted with good, a good memory, gifted with money, and on and on and on. It's easily, it's natural to say he or she is gifted as an individual. But it's usually applied to someone who has a special skill, a special talent that sets him or her apart from others who do not have that skill or who do not have that talent, at least in the same measure. Isn't it interesting we are... We're so attuned to talking about someone's gifting when it's not us. Someone else's gifts. Someone else's gifting, rarely our own. This month, we've set aside a study that we're going through in the book of Romans to look at stewardship. Stewardship is something that's given to you from which someone expects you to be responsible. For example, when we let someone babysit our children, we're offering them one of the most precious stewardships imaginable. When I send my, my, uh, my sons off to school every morning, I'm, I'm entrusting them as a stewardship to their teachers so that they'll learn things. Stewardship implies something from wh- for which you're responsible. And we started last time by saying you're really responsible, first of all, for your life and your time. God will give us a great accounting one day. Did we redeem the time? Did we make the most of our time? Today we're going to look at our gifting. Now, the immediate, uh, immediately when I say gifting, there are all sorts of debates running around in your mind if you're a good Bible student. Well, is he talking about spiritual gifts? Is he talking about being able to play the cello? 
We, we use those terms as gifts loosely, but how do they, let me ask you this, do they have any connection? You have, if, let me say this, if you've been redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you have been given gifts by God, as this passage says, to make much of him, to glorify him. Now, if I can give you a little footnote, we're going to study that in depth when we get to Romans chapter 12. Uh, We're going to study that cross-referencing 1 Corinthians 12, which we'll look at in a moment. But we will look at that in depth. Lots of debate about gifting. We're not even going to get into the debate today about spiritual gifts. We're going to talk thoroughly about them. You're not likely to see gifting as a stewardship unless you understand that you have been gifted That's passive. You've been given a gift or gifts more than likely by God. You have unique gifts that you've received and can be given to you, can be given to others by the exercise of those gifts because of your glorifying of God. But this is a Christian context. There are are wonderful, unbelieving uh, cellists, pianists, mathematicians, speakers. What we're talking about in this context is what has God given you that he expects you to make much of him about. That's the context here in 1 Peter chapter 4. It ends in doxology, to give glory and praise to God. We're to serve one another, speak to the utterances of God to one another so that God is made much of. What has God given you, what has he given me, that he expects us to make much of him? Here's the deal. For which he expects us to be stewards. First Peter, I think, approaches the issue of spiritual gifting in, in, a, uh, in a simpler way than, than does Paul with the Corinthians and with the Romans. There he gets into uh, the, the supernatural gifts, the uh, tongues and healings and things we want to talk about when we get there. He gets into serving and administration, teaching, leadership, all of those things. Here, he basically says, look, I don't wanna, we're not even going to talk about that. You need to understand there are two broad categories of gifting. Teaching gifts, speaking gifts, and serving gifts. If you go back to 1 Corinthians and Romans, you can see that those fall into, those, all those gifts fall into those specific categories. You either have one or both of these categories of gifts operative in, in you if you believe in Jesus Christ. There is no one in this church building who's a Christian who, is not, who has not been gifted by God for the great purpose of making much of him. Now, to get the context here, I want you to go back to up to verse 7. 1 Peter, as you know, is written as really an epistle to help Christians who are struggling with persecution, who are struggling, who are suffering, who were waiting at any moment when they met for a knock on the door and the Roman guards to arrest them and to say, you're under arrest for the crime of believing in Jesus Christ which was strangely called atheism because you didn't believe Caesar was God, you believed Jesus was God. That crime was a capital crime. You could be killed for that crime, and many were. So he's writing this epistle to to encourage the people to be faithful in the midst of their suffering. It's remarkable what he says in this passage, in these these five chapters, about suffering. He says, you're going to suffer, suffer as Christ. 
He seeks no relief for these people from their suffering. He seeks to equip them to think rightly in the midst of their suffering. Well, as he finishes chapter 4, look look, look at verse 7. He says, the end of all things is near. You say, time out, that was 2,000 years ago. How could he have said that then? Because nothing was left for Jesus to do and accomplish for him to return and establish his kingdom. We're still in that chapter. You can look at the papers all you want. You can see that uh, uh, the big thing is Israel came back in 1947, 48, became a state. They weren't. Now Jesus has come back. If that was the case, then was Jesus prevented from coming back for all those, those years in between when Peter said this in 1948? Here's the bottom line. Jesus could come back at any moment during when Peter was saying this. Jesus could have come back any time in the 13th century, 14th, 15th, 1942, 1950. Jesus could come back today. There is nothing left on the timetables of Scripture that says this has to happen for Jesus to return and redeem his bride and establish his kingdom. Nothing. That's why Peter can say, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, sober in spirit, purpose of prayer. He says, get ready, be faithful in the end. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. We could spend weeks on that verse. Be fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. How do you deal with each other's shortcomings? Love, you're devoted to one another. But that's for another sermon. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Verse 10, as each one has received a spiritual gift. See the context there? The context is you're all in this together. The end is near. The Lord's on his way. Are you huddling up for the purpose of mutual encouragement, stimulating each other to godliness, and fervent expectation for the return of Christ? How can we do that best with one another? The context here, he says, is to exercise, employ, use, steward, be a good and faithful user of your giftedness. Since the end is near, live toward one another's. Minister to others with your spiritual gifts. As you serve others, God will be honored, glorified, and praised. That's the point. So how can you be a good steward of you? Let's say it that way. We could say, how could you be a good steward of your gifts? But you and your gifts as a Christian are bound up one in the other. How can you be a good steward of you, what God's given you? Let's look at this together. Verse 10 tells us the first way to do that. Number one, recognize the presence of your gifting. Recognize the presence of your gifting. Peter says in verse 10, as each one has received a gift. The New American Standard supplies a special gift. Of course it's special, but it's a unique gift, literally. Now, when we get to Romans 12, we're going to devote a lot of time, significant weeks, to, the, to understanding the nature of these spiritual gifts. But for the purpose this morning, it's only important that we understand them in two broad categories that we'll explore, by the way, in the next point, serving and speaking. Know this, though. You did not get left out when God was handing out spiritual gifts. I will never forget an awkward moment I had. I was about, I was still in high school, so 16, 17 years old. And I, uh, my friend invited me over uh, to their house uh, for a, uh, a Christmas afternoon dinner. We'd had ours in the morning, so I was going to go to a Christmas afternoon dinner with him. It was great. So I went over to my friend's house, 
They all sat around, and I was there when they exchanged all their gifts. Now, why was that awkward? Good for you. And good for you. Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. I'm looking at empty hands. I remember thinking, well, everybody, it wasn't bad. I had had Christmas that morning with my family. But I remember thinking, this is awkward. Everybody's getting something but me. That's a feeling that a lot of people in the church have. Boy, that guy can speak. That lady does a great women's Bible study. They're up front. That person can serve. That person can do. And you think, "Ah, I must have been at the back of the line when spiritual gifts were given out and they ran out before I got there. Didn't happen. Let me not only encourage you, but let me frighten you a little bit. Not only have you been given a gift, God has great expectations for to use what he's given you to make much of him and to make the people's lives around you more sanctified and better because you know them. Now, just for a moment, we have to, we have to glance over. Turn back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to pick up the illustration that, that Paul gives them. We're not going to get into all of the, the characterizations of the gifts in the first half of this chapter. But listen to what happens. This is really insightful because the the experience that a lot of people have with each other about gifting today is exactly what was happening in the first century church. Let's pick it up in verse, uh, we'll come back to this, but look at verse seven. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Notice it says each one. You've been given something by the spirit. This is a supernatural endowment. Something has been given to each one, not some, not the elite, not the tallest, not the handsomest, not the best. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We'll come back to that when we get to 1 Peter. Look at verse 14. For the body is not one member but many. Now he picks up the illustration of of the church of Christ being a human body. He uses this incredible illustration. He says, if the foot says, now stop right there. He's animating different parts of the body. He's given them voice. He's, he's looking at the human body and imagining that, that each of the parts has, a, has, a, has vocal cords and can talk to one another. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? See what he's saying here? One part of the body looks at the other and says, well, because I'm not that, I'm not important. He goes on. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? He brings the nose in. But now God has placed the members, these are the parts, uh, each one of them in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? Instead, another way, if every one of us were, were preachers and teachers, how would Sunday go? That would be a long day. If all were one member, where would the body be? But there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand. The eye was talking to the ear a minute ago. Now now he brings the hand in. 
I have no need of you. Now it's the opposite. Now it's not only somebody wanting to be someone else, it's someone looking down on someone else. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. He goes on, we'll we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, Those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. Or our less presentable members become more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for the other. This presentable and unpresentable, what he's talking about is, is basically guts and skin. He's, he's, uh, this was a culture that, you'd, um, uh, that, that you didn't go to the supermarket and everything was ne- neatly butchered in a display case. Butchering was a normal part of life. Ladies, the butcher in the house was typically the woman. You kept chickens out back. You went and cut the head off and cut them open and made dinner. It was very, uh, this might be foreign to some people, but in this culture, the less presentable the insides, the organs, which seem like, uh, I don't want to just look at that. He's saying that they're actually, in some senses, more necessary. The showy, the things that you see, and the non-showy, the things that you don't see, both have necessary contributions. Now he gets the same issue that Peter addresses in verse 26. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If the one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You will see this afternoon we're in the playoffs. If you didn't know that, this is the NFL playoffs. And Tomorrow, I promise you, someone, one of the quarterbacks, will have a good day. And they will say he had a great arm that day or his arm was working or whatever. No one will say today. No reporter will say, we're going to start with the fingers and go to the shoulder. And we're going to establish the greatness of this man's arm. The rest of them we don't deal with. But his arm, his arm. His arm's connected. Look, when you played baseball, when I played baseball, when I was little... We had this stupid thing. I don't know if you had this. You're, you're in the batter's box and you get hit with a pitch. Did you have this thing? The, the, with the dugout would yell what? Don't rub it. You're supposed to be tough. The reason is you're standing there and you get hit. What is, you get hit in this shoulder. What does this hand want to do? It wants to grab it. It wants to help. When you have a splinter in your foot, the hand and the eye doesn't just say, that's your problem. Right? It's connected. And that's the point. We're one body. We are connected. When you, when you stump your toe in the middle of your night, trust me, your tongue is connected. Ouch is connected to pain. Now, if you're Christ's body, and individually, you are Christ's body, and individually members of it, verse 28, and God has appointed in the church apostles, Prophets, teachers. Now, he breaks down these gifts. Why? Because they're all needed. You have been given a gift. Here's the question I want you to ask right now. Do you know 
in what ways God has gifted you to make much of him and serve the people around you. Number two, second um, way to be a good steward of you. Understand the purpose of your gifting. Understand the purpose of your gifting. This is not a big point. We've already said it in, in, uh, in several ways. Employ it, your gift, in serving one another as a, here's our word, a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Now he makes gifting a synonym with God's grace, the manifold manifestation of the grace of God. We saw in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 12, verse 7, it's a manifestation of the Spirit. Here it's a manifold uh, demonstration of the grace of God. It's something God has given us that he expects us to deal with. Each believer is gifted by God to build up the body of Christ to maturity. You're serving, look at there, one another as good stewards. The church is to be a better place because you know and employ your spiritual gifts. God has a great expectation on us to employ spiritual giftedness. 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans, uh, Romans 12 describe these gifts in detail, but Peter says, well, actually, there's only two kinds of these gifts. He's gonna get that here in verse 11. Gift is charisma. It literally means gift of grace. When a believer receives God's grace, this is the manifestation that people are supposed to see of God in them. There's a responsibility to share this gift with other Christians, for other Christians. Think about this. As we exercise this spiritual giftedness, we're actually administering and stewarding the grace of God. That's a heavy-duty responsibility. He's given us his grace. He says, be a good steward of my grace. That's significant. Now, by now, you're saying you're talking in such general terms. How, what do you mean? What, what do you actually mean practically? Let's go to number three. Identify the nature of your gifting. Identify the nature of your gifting. Verse 11 tells us where to start. In fact, if I was sitting down with someone, they want to know how am I spiritually gifted before I went to Romans 12, before I went to 1 Corinthians 13, I would, for, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, I would start here. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as the one who is serving by the strength which God supplies now, some have suggested that, that, um, uh, that these categories include every gift from this standpoint. They say, well, this speaking the utterances of God, speaking means prophesying and speaking in tongues. And I don't think that's what's talking about here because he's saying speaking the utterances of God. You're actually telling people what God has said, which is preaching, is teaching. And listen, there's not just one preacher in a church. There's not just one teacher in a church. And as soon as you say, well, I'm not gifted, so I don't have to teach, you're responsible for instruction and teaching even if you don't have that gift. Moms and dads, we teach our children, right? Even if you're not a pastor or a preacher, you're still a teacher in some category. And as we'll see in a minute, just because I'm a pastor or a teacher doesn't mean that I don't have to serve. So both of these flow into who we are. I think this is in reference to preaching and teaching, the one who speaks the utterances of God. Um, 
Paul will say in Romans and in 1 Corinthians, we'll see this later, there are the showy gifts and the less showy gifts. All he's saying is the ones that everyone sees uh, more commonly and the ones that people see more individually. It's fair to say that most people who come to Mission Road Bible Church today are going to recognize that Rick is preaching today. It's not the case that everyone who comes to Mission Road today will know the way you serve in individual ways you'll do before people get in their cars. Does that make one more important than the other? Not at all. That was his whole point in 1 Corinthians 12. You need it all. The verb here is um, uh, lalain, and it means to, uh, to, to speak forth those utterances. It's for another time, we'll talk about this with the seminary guys. But look at the second category. I can't resist this, by the way. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says that what he preaches should be received not as the word of men, but as the word of God. So if you're going to be preaching the utterances of God, it should be the utterances of God. So that when we stand, whoever stands here, me, any of the other guys, we should say what this book says, all this book says, and what? No more than what this book says. This is, this is the beginning and the end of our authority. And this is, by the way, not the beginning and the end of, our, of God. This leads us to understand God. We don't be, want to become what those, the people who throw rocks at us say. We're bibliologists. We worship the Bible. We use the Bible to worship God. It's God's revelation of himself. That one's pretty easy. Someone preaches God's word. Here's where most of our church lands in the second category, and that is service gifts. There's speaking gifts and serving gifts. In the exact same way, if a man offers service, let it be as with the strength which God supplies. The Hebrew word is the same word from which we get deacon. Service, you're a servant. You're serving others. You're making their lives better because of you. Now, here's the deal, okay? The stewardship and service, we try to make it you know, some kind of, uh, of, um, uh, kind of preeminent, touchy-feely, I like being in this position state. It's actually a slave. It's a servant. It's someone who is told what to do by an, a, a superior. Now, in this situation, you're not serving someone who necessarily tells you what to do here. We're, we're serving the master, the Lord Jesus, who tells us what to do so that other people's lives are benefited. In 1 Corinthians 12, 5, Paul comments that there are varieties of services. In other words, there are countless ways you can employ the gifting to serve. Now, Here's where people get confused. And I want to either try to help clarify the confusion or I'm going to confuse you even more. Ready? People say, well, there are spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. They're clearly articulated. So if I'm able to play the drums, the guitar, the cello, the, the, the piano, if I'm able to do something like that, if I can teach math well, if, I, if I'm a good uh, financial counselor, if I can uh, 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 help people with, with their houses and I have uh, carpentry skills, or I can roof, that, that's not a spiritual gift. And you would be right in terms of it being a divinely given skill that happened when you got saved. However, I want you to notice that the verb here is serve one another. 
doesn't say how. Such that I could say with great, great, I think, uh, um, um, inside the covers of the Bible, let's say it that way. That let's say you're a carpenter. <clears throat> doesn't mention carpentry as, the, as a gift, spiritual gift. But it says serving people is. And if you use your carpentry to serve people, are you not using what God has given you to make much of him and to serve others? So I think sometimes we're so quick to say, well, singing and is not my spiritual gift, so, so uh, I don't have to look at it in that category. I, I, I don't wanna be too quick to rush to that. No, singing is not in, in 1 Corinthians 12 or it's not in Romans 12. But serving is, in both of those, and serving is here. Can you serve people by how God has made you and wired you? Absolutely, yes. The point is, in whatever God has made you to be, use any and all of that to serve others. Now, that's still an upfront and showy gift. The, the, I like the carpentry one better. Uh, can, can you use hammers and nails to the glory of God and the, good, the common good of the people in, in the body of Christ? It's happened at my house. However God has wired you in skills, you can use that for the glory of God. And if you serve people with that, that service heart is the gifting that uses what God has made you to be, the skills he's, uh, he's uh, employed you to have so that people's lives can be bettered around you, the, the body of Christ can be served, and God can be glorified. So I, I remember, I've, I've even preached before, you know, don't, don't ever think that if you have some skill, that's a, that's a spiritual gift. <sighs> Technically, that's, that's a true statement. But a spiritual gift of having a heart to serve someone is a spiritual gift, right? And if you're using all of your skills and talents and, and every, whatever you have to serve someone, you see how that falls under the category of a spiritual gifting? It's the heart of service that uses what skills you have or the talents you have for the glory of God. A talent or skill can be used spiritually if it uses it for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. But we shouldn't say, well, you know, I can play the trumpet and that's the spiritual gift that God gave me in Romans chapter 12. So that can either clarify or confuse. Do you understand what I'm saying? The gift is service. You're to serve people. How you do that is left entirely indescribed. Whatever makes you, you, you're to use to make others' lives more rich and godly and fulfilled and holy and, as we'll see at the end of the verse, to bring God glory. We're serving. What are you doing? What are you doing? What do you have? What skills, talents, what acumen do you possess that you are using for the glory of God and the betterment of his church. Are you serving? Most of the serving, by the way, goes unseen. I mean, so Aaron can play the piano and he serves us in that, that sense, but if you take the, the, the case of the eye and the foot and the inside and the outside, the showy and the less showy, the more presentable, the less presentable, then you see that most of these spiritual gifts are employed in, in areas and in categories that very few people see, except the one serving and the one being served. God has given you that stewardship. Here's, 
Here's where we're going with this. He has an expectation that at the end of our lives, we can present to him a stewardship of what he's given us. How's that all wrap up? Let's go to number four. Number four, fulfill the goal of your gifting. Fulfill the goal of your gifting. Look at the last part of verse 11. We've been speaking of it over and over. So that in all things, how many things? A few? No, in all things, God may be glorified. How? Through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, all of these gifts, talents, uh, skills, everything is to be done with God as the main issue in our life and what we're doing in the shadow of who he is. In all things, God's to be glorified. So let me, let, me, let me say it again and bring it in the context of all things. Spiritual gifts, clearly articulated in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, right? Spiritual gifts categorized, speaking gifts and serving gifts here in 1 Peter. So what if you can play the, the guitar or, or cello or piano, drums, bass, carpentry? You can drill things. You can fix things. Plumbing. Is that a spiritual gift? Yes and no. No, it's not listed. But the idea of serving God with who he's made you to be is used spiritually. God has gifted us with that. That's why it says here, in all things God may be glorified. So your gift is either speaking or serving. Most of us, it's, it's some category of both. What are you doing to serve with what God has given you and wired you to be? The why is right here. We do it for God. In all things glorify God. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, he says, whether you're eating or drinking, do all to the glory of God. He says, whether it's hydration or nutrition, the most basic parts of our lives are done under the watchful eye and care of God. We do it for him. Do you believe in God's omnipresence? Do you believe in God's omniscience? Do you believe he sees, knows, cares about everything we do think with who we do them? You can be gifted in both areas and in multiple areas on the other list. So let me, let me, uh, let me drill down by asking you a few questions. Do you know where you're gifted? Do you know where you're gifted? No one can say, my spiritual gift is my home. But you can say my spiritual gift is serving and I use my home to serve. Does that make sense? Noah can say my spiritual gift is playing the piano. But you can serve people by playing the piano and glorify God and make the, their lives better. My, my, my spiritual gift is uh, 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 auto mechanics. Not really, but yes. If your gift is serving and you're using auto mechanics to do that, then that becomes under the umbrella of giving God glory by that service. Do you know where you're gifted? Whatever you do, well, you do it for the glory of God. But the key is if, if God's not called you to be a preacher, or a speaker, he has called you to serve. Are you ready for this? He expects you to serve before you leave the building. He expects you to serve before you pillow your head. He expects you to serve this week. This is a stewardship given by God to you 
from which he is going to receive back and say, what did you do with what I, what I gave you? So I know I've been confusing or clear to some or the other. Let me say it again. All of your talents are not listed as a spiritual gift. But using those talents to serve others is a part of spiritual gifting. Also, are you aggressively seeking to glorify God by serving others with your gifts? When you do things for people, do you want the credit or do you just love knowing that God is pleased by that? Here's the test. Figure out a way to do something for someone that that serves them in the body. This is all Christian-centered, right? Do something for someone anonymous so that there's no way you can get the glory for it and see what, what your heart does. That's a good test. Another question, do you affirm and encourage the gifts of others? Do you affirm and encourage the gifts of others? It's different to compliment someone on what they do that's that's good than to encourage them that what they've done brings great magnification to God and serves your soul. And do you realize that God will expect one day a great accounting of these gifts, talents, skills, call them what they were, He will expect a great accounting for what we say if we're speakers and what we do if we're servers. And all of you have the responsibility. If you're a great commissioned Christian, you're a teacher in some sense. And if if you're alive, then you're called to serve the body in some sense. So we began by saying it's so easy to say he's so gifted, she's so gifted. You do know that you're gifted. It's passive. That God has gifted you so that you can serve others and make a big deal of him by how you do that. How are you stewarding your time? That was last week. How are you stewarding your gifts, speaking and serving? How are you stewarding that? Are you being responsible with what God has given you? In some senses, um, babysitting is, is a small stewardship compared to this. I mean, is, can you think of any greater stewardship than when, I mean, I remember when Kim and I was first, uh, were first at that point where uh, when our firstborn was, we wanted to do things and when he couldn't go and we needed a babysitter. I remember, the first, I remember where we were. I remember who did it. It was the Coates family. We got in the car and we drove off and we looked at each other and said, it's okay. When we got back that night, you know what I first, I first did? I looked, looked at my boy and I said, is he okay? You know what I was doing when I said that? Have they done what I had hoped and expected them to do in taking care of a treasure to me that I had given to them? God's going to expect an accounting for the stewardship and the gifting that he's given you and me because we're to care one for the other, serving one another. Bow your heads, if you will. So much more we're going to say about the spiritual gifting. Please, please, please don't don't think this is all that can be said. This is, in a Christian context, It serves the body of Christ. We're serving each other. We're doing it for him. There are very nice people who do very nice things for very nice other people. There are very nice people who do nice things for ungodly people and wicked people. 
but they do it not for the glory of God. There are, there are nice people in the world. This is not what this, this text is talking about. This is saying, how is the body of Christ, how is the church that you attend bettered because of you? How do you serve? Do you serve? Will you serve? Will you speak? There are some preachers and teachers. We, I would love for us to have a, a time of instruction and Discover and equip those of you who want to teach God's word. Whatever God has given you, are you being a faithful steward? Father, give us insight into what you've given us. More in attitude than anything, you've no doubt placed the burden and the joy of serving on all of us. Please, give us targets for that service before we even leave the building. Make us giddy, overjoyed at bettering the lives and walks of the people around us. Lord, I pray that you would gift and raise and train and equip and send out preachers and teachers from this very address. Make us responsible. Give us grace that we can steward and return to you invested and making a profit. In Jesus' name, amen.